This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, Uh, and this is the week of February 15th, and we have a guest with us this week. Uh, Rachel Paterno-Mahler is with us. She was a champion um, in season 35. She won one game with $29,600, plus the uh, $1,000 that she got on her second game. Um, She was on on January 23 and 24. 2019. And we're just delighted to have her with us. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here as well. Tell us a little about yourself, if you would. Okay, so yeah, I, um, I have a PhD in astrophysics from Boston University. And I used to research galaxy clusters, which I think are super, super cool. And I was hoping for an astronomy category this week. But so far, no luck. And now I am a staff scientist at Arete in Northridge. So taking those skills that I learned and applying them to other situations. Very nice. I, anytime, really, I hear someone say, like, I have, well, I have a PhD at all. I'm like, all right, sweet. I am outclassed. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, in astrophysics, I'm like, okay. Oh, my goodness. I am a, I am a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, Do people ever come at you with like, oh, great, I'm a Pisces? Not really. I mean, not even my students when I was teaching. Most of them did not do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I did have some students who wanted to do astrology projects for their final projects. And I had to I had to say no Mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That that sounds like the right call. Yeah. But what if they figured it out? Well, so I would, I did have one student and I kind of prodded her in this direction, but, uh, you know, they have, if you give a bunch of people a random horoscope uh, and say it's for their astrological sign, uh, you know, see how many people will say that it applies to them. And basically everyone will be able to find something (laughs) in it that applies to them. So, you know, it tells you that there's a lot of, they're vague enough that, you know, you can find anything you want in them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's talk some Jeopardy. So on Monday, February 15th, we had the contestants, Phil Hoffman, a graduate student originally from Mountain Lakes, New Jersey, Karen Ellistad, a chaplain originally from Frankfurt, Kentucky. Uh, so she and I share some, uh, some professional contacts. I don't know her personally, but, uh, you know, the, the circle of youngish female clergy who've been on Jeopardy. It's small. Um, <laughs> and and it's, it's not just the two of us. There are a few others. But, but yeah, there aren't that many of us. And Lance uh, St. Laurent, a PhD student from Madison, Wisconsin, whose one-day cash winnings total $19,600. And we had the Jeopardy round categories, 21st Century News, Anyone for Tennis, Four-letter verbs, food and drink retronyms, Michael wrote, and the boat ashore. I feel um, like they've been reaching for their puns lately. Yeah, agreed. But isn't that what makes a pun good, I guess? 
I don't know. I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm on record on the podcast for not being a huge fan of puns. Mm-hmm. It was sort of wild seeing that 21st century news and being like, oh, yeah, these things happened. Some of them almost 20 years ago. Yeah, we are one Yikes. fifth through the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, now I feel right? old. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I always think anytime I think 30 years ago. To me, 30 years ago is like the 1970s, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's 50 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. At the $800 level in that category, we had after being trapped in a cave for more than two weeks in 2018, 12 boys and their soccer coach were rescued in this country. And Karen guessed what is Chile. Um, she was clearly thinking of the like the Chilean miner Mm-hmm. rescue uh which also is 21st century history i'm pretty sure um but, but much older yeah 2018 <laughs> with the uh with the boys and the soccer coach that was in thailand mm-hmm. that was I, it's inspirational now that it's over <laughs> um right it was terrifying at the time and it feels like it was way more recent than that yeah yeah it kind of does but again, it's it's hard to gauge time right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Yeah. They kind of struggled with the tennis category. They did leave it for last. Mm-hmm. There, there were a couple of close misses. The six hundred dollar level. This five letter word means an extended exchange of strokes before a point. Lance guessed what is volley, which is six letters, uh, but they were looking for rally. And then in the eight hundred dollar level. At the 2012 French Open, this Russian completed her career slam. Phil guessed who is Kornikova. It was the, I don't want to be like reductive about it, but the other like Russian yeah. supermodel t- tennis yeah. player, the one who was actually good, uh, that was Maria Sharapova. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna Kornikova was more famous, I think, for her modeling career than mm. her tennis and talent. also... Dating Enrique Iglesias, I found out, because I looked this up the other day, they are still together. Wow. Which was shocking to me. They just had a baby. That's Like so another baby. Wholesome. They have like four kids. That's, that's so, that's, yeah, that's wholesome and nice to hear. Ah. Uh, it's really yeah. sweet. In the food and drink retronyms category, um, there was a, a mention of, um, Due to the emergence of the vodka type, uh, the original martini now has this liquor in front. Uh, so that's gin. Um, originally, martinis were with gin. Um, and I th- went through a phase of being annoyed that if you just order a martini, you get a vodka martini. But I'm still know. in that phase. <laughs> gin is better. I think it is. Gin is better. It just it has flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The goal for vodka, if I understand correctly, is to have as little flavor as possible which sure but it, yeah. it just doesn't seem like it should be the default for uh mm. for martinis no mm. and then the thousand dollar level was talking about your favorite food <sighs> licorice ah, i hate it <laughs> that, my husband loves it and i am not a fan Ooh, that can make that no. can make a, ten, a a marriage tense. I understand. I get it. Well, I know it's good because he can buy them all, and I won't eat them. Mm. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's a that good makes point. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we get daily double number one in the Michael Rote category at the eight hundred dollar level. Lance found it. He was in the lead at fifty six hundred. Karen was at eighteen hundred, and Phil is at twelve hundred. And Lance wagered twenty five hundred. He got the clue: dragon teeth, 
published after his 2008 death, Return to the World of Paleontology. And he got it correct with who is Michael Crichton. So he jumps out to an even farther lead. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, he has broken 10,000. Lance is at 10,500. Karen is back at 2,400. And Phil is at 400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. Specific Hospital. Mean Tweeters. Alternate Anthems, which Ken explains were songs that have been proposed to replace the Star-Spangled Banner. 1821. A Place Like River Hill in which we get another explanation of a category, which I re- I thought was strange that we got two categories that required explanations, uh, mm-hmm. can explain that each clue is about a place with two different geographic features in its name. And then the last category is all contraire with A-U in quotation marks. And for some reason, we left two clues on the board. Yes. This round. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Didn't seem to take that long, but... Yeah. I sort of assumed the mean tweeters <laughs> was going to be about stuff that happened on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, lot there. there. There sure is. Twitter's a pretty angry place in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to get off Twitter, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, nothing about Twitter on here. We had like angry birds. We had some stuff about it was all the about Hitchcock birds. movie, yeah. the birds. Yeah, no, it was, it was like, it was... It was birds. Um, birds being angry. Aggressive birds. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter, I feel like that would be right up Lindsay Schultz's alley. She does a lot of like tweet of weird bird pictures. So mm, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she loved it. I'm sure she did. We had a triple stumper at the two thousand dollar level in that category. It was from Dumbo. Several crows are decidedly uncivil to Dumbo when singing this song with a six word title dismissive of his ability i'm glad that was a two thousand dollar clue because that's one of those answers that's like really hard to get all of the words correct when who memorizes that Mm -hmm. the correct answer is when i see an elephant fly but we've got if i saw an elephant fly i'd never seen an elephant fly right like it's close but it's not Mm -hmm. the exact six words yeah incidentally that scene and that song are problematic for for racial reasons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dumbo did not age terribly well, is it? No. Apparently, the the main crow is, is called Jim. Jim Crow. Mm. So. Ugh. I think that's all we need to say. <laughs> yeah. Daily Double number two comes up in the alternate anthems category, which I kind of loved actually. Uh, it's at the twelve hundred dollar level. Phil finds it and wagers 4,500 of his 6,000. Uh, Lance is at 12,100 at this point. Karen has 1,200. Phil gets the clue. Music critic Jody Rosen has suggested this Bill Withers hit about taking care of each other. And he guessed, what is You've Got a Friend in Me? Um, the correct answer here is Lean on Me. You've Got a Friend in Me is Randy Newman. Mm-hmm. Good old Randy. Yeah, so he takes a big hit, but he made a good wager. Like, that was a smart move, especially where he was at yeah. the time. You know, that, that could have really brought him within reach of, of Lance at that moment. But mm-hmm. I just, like, I did not understand the River Hill category, mm. and I still do not, looking at the archive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just clues or answers with, like, two geographic things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
most of it came in in the um, in the clue instead of in the response. Yeah, I think that was what was confusing for me. Yeah, yeah. If you were trying to like come up with something with both in in the response, then that's going to lead you away from all of them. Actually, <laughs> none yeah. of none of them were the in the actual response. We do find daily double number three in the uh, place like River Hill category. It's at the two thousand dollar level. Uh, Karen finds it. So each each player found one of the daily doubles. That's a nice thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was back at twenty eight hundred. Lance was up at twelve thousand one hundred, and Phil is at sixty three hundred. And she only wagered eight hundred. It's pick number twenty two. Maybe she kind of feels like, you know, there's not enough money on the board for me to be able to make a move, and I don't want to risk not playing Final Jeopardy. Maybe that was what she was thinking. I don't know. Uh, I personally would have bet more, mm-hmm. but. She gets the clue, Valley Stream, New York, is on Long Island, in this county whose name brings the West Indies to mind. And she gets it right. It seems like she was kind of pulling for it, but uh, she got it right with what is Nassau County. Mm-hmm. I think it was Karen who had mentioned during the interview segment that she, like, as a teenager in some kind of mm-hmm. um, program, uh in in new york city got on the subway without really understanding where it was heading and ended up lost in jamaica queens um also (laughs) in new york and brings the west indies to mind um yeah yeah. jamaica queens is lovely um yeah but you know being lost anywhere in new york as a teenager with no smartphone is probably not great (laughs) A lot of uh, there's a lot of really good ethnic food in uh, in Jamaica Queens. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Lance is in the lead with ten thousand nine hundred. Phil is at seven thousand one hundred. Karen has four thousand eight hundred. So they're all in it. As we get the final Jeopardy category playwrights and the clue, this late writer has had ten plays on Broadway, most of them set in Pittsburgh, like Jitney, which premiered in two thousand seventeen. Karen has wagered 3,000 and responds, who is August Wilson? Uh, And that is correct. Um, Known for his Pittsburgh cycle, uh, including plays like Fences and The Piano Lesson, Ken says. Um, I could not get to a name for this one. I was like, it's the guy who wrote Fences, and that's where I got stuck. You know, if you wrote that down, they would have to take it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because you're uh, not wrong uh-huh. Phil has wagered 7095 so everything but 5 bucks and he has who is August Wilson and Lance with a $4,100 cover bet and a little bit didn't know it and guessed who is Sondheim so he drops down and Phil is our champion going into Tuesday Yes, indeed. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants, Pam Sung, a physician scientist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Joe Satran, a writer originally from Montclair, New Jersey, and Phil Hoffman, a graduate student originally from Mountain Lakes, New Jersey, which fits into that that other category, uh, whose one-day cash winnings total $14,195. And the Jeopardy round categories are Baby, Yukon, Drive My Car. It happens in Genesis, hoops, and differs by one letter. And not for the last time this week, we had a whole category about something I've done a deep dive on. That's right. Uh, 
the book yeah. of Genesis. Mm-hmm. I did a deep dive on the book of Genesis a while back. Um, so if anyone listened to that, I think they would be all set here. I'm not sure if I talked about the $1,000 level clue, but I might have touched on it. Um, he on. becomes a father at age 187, then lives another 782 years. Uh, Joe got, th- got that one. That is Methuselah. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, not a repeat of a question, but almost a repeat of a question. I mean, obviously, we know that Jeopardy repeats questions. Uh, but from my first game, in the baby category, at the $1,000 level, the the clue this this time was, as a newborn, baby scored high on this assessment test given one minute and five minutes after birth. Pam got it. That's APGAR, the APGAR test. Uh, in my game, it was also a $1,000 clue, and it was in the category A, baby, with A in quotation marks, and the clue was, this score assesses a newborn's baby health by measuring five signs, a score of 10 is perfect. I did not get that one. Lori got that one. She mm-hmm. that, that was early on in the round when I was still shaking off the nerves after digging myself into a hole. So Yeah. Uh, fun fact about APGAR scores, APGAR is a Backronym. You would assume that it was like an acronym because it feels pretty kind of natural. Mm-hmm. Appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration the, are the backronym. That's, uh, you know, those are the things you're assessing. Um, but it, it was actually developed by a physician whose last name was Apgar. And the, the backronym was created after she created the assessment. Mm-hmm. See, these people are lucky that astronomers weren't involved because our acronyms are ridiculous. <laughs> I think you mean awesome. I mean, I was on a project that's called Megasora, and I don't even remember what that stands for. And it was like, here are the letters, make it into something fun. <laughs> mm, nice. <laughs> that's awesome. So Daily Double number one comes up as the very first pick in the It Happens in Genesis category at the $400 level, and Phil finds it. Um, everyone has zero, it being the first clue of the round, um, and so he wagered 1000 which is the right move in this case, the, the maximum he you can, and gets the clue. These two cities get wiped out in Genesis 19, and he gets that one correct. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, the players are really super close. Phil's at 5,600, Joe's at 5,000, Pam is at 5,400. So just a $600 spread between first and third place. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, alphabet rockers and rappers, American history, piece of cake, literature, natural construction, and double consonant words. Each correct response will have two of the same consonant in a row. We had another instance of, like, having to get six exact words mm-hmm. correct. Uh, pick number one was in the literature category at the $1,600 level. Dylan Thomas's best-known poem urges his father, Do not do this. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Uh, and all three of them took a stab at it, so no harm, no foul, I guess. Phil said, what is do not go gentle into that dark night? Which I think threw off Joe, who said, do not go gently into the dark night, which was incorrect. And Pam said, what is, do not go gently into that dark night, but it is, do not go gentle into that good night. 
Right. That I think Phil, night. who guessed first, was the closest. Yeah, he, he did everything except he changed good to dark. Yep. Which, of course, that would that would be if Batman was writing the poem. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Batman's poetry would be like. Probably really bad. Like that like that seventh grade kid who's like trying to be super deep and emotional all the time. Mm, yeah. yeah. The Batman in my head these days is Lego Batman from the Lego movies. Oh, yes. The best Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> Could we change this to a Lego movie fan cast? Yes. Okay. No. All right. Maybe. Thanks, listeners. We're done with Jeopardy. We have a lot of Lego Movie Two soundtrack on the um, the playlist we play for our kids in the morning. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I should start doing that. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. <laughs> uh, I think the uh, if I if I remember seeing what I was seeing correctly, the alphabet rockers and rappers category was actually an Alex Trebek idea. Oh, um, I seem to recall something like that. Like Ken Jennings shared something about that that like he had the idea to have a category based on that uh, with those those names. That's... I could I could be I could have misread it, but I think that's what mm-hmm. he said. Yeah, I I uh, didn't catch that, but um, yeah, that's I I love that. Daily double number. Two is in the American history category. It's at the $1,600 level. Joe finds it. Uh, he's at 5400 which is the lead, and he goes for it. He bets it all, which is, yeah, man, early in the round, go for it. Uh, and he gets the clue, fighting the Bolsheviks, the American North Russian Expeditionary Force, was better known by this ursine name. And I think the mention of Bolsheviks may have thrown him off because he said, who are the white bears? What they're looking for was the polar bears. Mm-hmm. So he dropped all the way down. Yeah. That was rough. Then he hits Daily Double number three on the very next pick. It's at the $2,000 level of piece of cake. He wagers the maximum possible, 2000 um, and gets the clue, this Latin American favorite is named for the evaporated milk, the sweetened condensed milk and the cream that's poured over it. And he knows this one. It's Tres Leches Cake. Mm, yes, it is. Yeah. In that category, I really thought that they should have gone back and given Joe credit at the $800 level. Uh, the clue was King Cake, which hides a little plastic baby inside, is popular during this celebration that culminates on Fat Tuesday. Joe guessed what is Epiphany? Pam rang in with Mardi Gras, which I knew was what they were looking for. But the phrase Mardi Gras is just French for, for Fat, Fat Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and you can call the season from like the day of Epiphany until Mardi Gras. You can call that Epiphany Tide. Um, mm. uh, so I thought I thought Epiphany was arguably valid. Yeah. Um, there may be some variation sort of geographically and and like among different traditions but like from from my background mardi gras at least started out as a day and turned into a season or like a like a like a longer festival to sort of extend the festivities around that especially in like certain cities where that's a big tradition um Mm -hmm. but like arguably like mardi gras is 
that like the culminating day. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like Epiphany was valid. Yeah. I thought Carnival was what mm-hmm. that was that was my thought. But Yeah, I think that would be a good answer for that as well. They should have taken they, they I would hope they would take that. Hmm. I was trying to think of the word carnival as I was talking about oh. this. Yeah. Yeah. I just taught my students about carnival in Brazil through a musical lens. Anyway, that's not really relevant. What is relevant to my deep dive from just last week, though, in the literature category, the $800 level, scholars think John Hunter, an 18th century London surgeon known as the Knife Man, inspired this R.L. Stevenson guy. Phil got that. That's Dr. Jekyll. But I talked about John Hunter in the quiz because he is the dude who also stole that giant man's corpse. Mm. Same, same man. (laughs) Same unsavory dude. John Hunter. Uh, so, <laughs> going into Final Jeopardy, uh, Pam is in the lead at 14,200, Phil is at 11,600, and Joe is at 3,600. And they get the category Geographic Namesakes, and the clue, in 1857, the former Surveyor General of India objected to giving his name to this landmark as, quote, the natives could not pronounce it. Joe wagered 2801, and wrote, what is Bombay? Uh, which is incorrect. Uh, so he drops down. Phil wagered 11,595, which is too much mm-hmm. in that position because if he'd gotten it wrong, Joe would be ahead of him with that wager. But he got it right, which is what is uh, Mount Everest. It's named after apparently George Everest, which is something I learned that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he jumps up and then Pam wagered 10,000, which was more than a cover bet. But a fine bet. And wrote, what is Taj Mahal? Which is incorrect. So she drops down and Phil uh, gets another win. So that takes us to Wednesday. We have the contestants Natalie Walsh, a naturopathic doctor originally from Okemos, Michigan. Andy West, a medical information officer from Fishersville, Virginia. And Phil Hoffman, a graduate student originally from Mountain Lakes, New Jersey, whose two-day cash winnings at this point total $37,390. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Mammals, Catholicism, U.S. Cities, Snap, Crackle with crack in quotation marks, and Pop. Uh, We had a reversal on the very first clue. It was the $400 level in Catholicism. The clue was, it's the ecclesiastical jurisdiction and territory administered by an archbishop. Andy rang in and said, what is a C? And he was ruled incorrect. Phil came up with, what is diocese? Ken said more specific, and he said uh, an archdiocese, which was accepted. Uh, But after the commercial break, Andy was informed that they accepted the response of C. Mm -hmm. I was surprised nobody knew um, at the $1,000 level the woman Jesus meets in the Stations of the Cross, that is St. Veronica. Uh, Phil guessed Mary Magdalene, Andy guessed Mary. Mary's always a good guess for... Yeah, <laughs> Mary is a good guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of Marys in the gospel Gospels, um, and St. Veronica is not mentioned in, in the Bible at all. She is, uh, you know, sort of a tradition, but not but not a not a scriptural figure, but I'd, I'd come across her name a number of times over the hmm. years. Daily Double number one 
is in the U.S. cities category. It's at the $800 level. Phil finds it. He is at $600 behind Natalie's $2,800 and Andy's $4,600. This is pick number 23. So he has some catching up to do. And he wagers a full $1,000. He gets the clue. Named for a Native American game, it's Wisconsin's largest city on the Mississippi. And he guesses what is Milwaukee, which I think is Wisconsin's largest city, but... It's not on the Mississippi, is my understanding. The city they were looking for was Lacrosse. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a it's a coin flip here. Do you want to go with something you know is a Wisconsin city, mm-hmm. but you don't know if it's a Native American game? You know, you just, you know, you figure it, the name must have come from somewhere. Or do you want to go with, I mean, to me, if you're, if you're thinking of, you know, a, a Native American game that is well known in... 21st century American parlance yeah yeah like mainstream culture like it's lacrosse but like I had not heard of the city lacrosse in Wisconsin I think or I wasn't I wouldn't have confidently said it was a city in Wisconsin yeah so at the end of the Jeopardy round (laughs) Phil is back to 600 he he just could not get off the ground in that first round Andy is at 6200 and Natalie is at 3200 and we get the Double Jeopardy categories, the novel's narrator, documentaries, run it up the flagpole, 80s talk, European history, and left behind on the moon. Which conveniently coincided with Perseverance's Mars landing mm-hmm. this week. Indeed. I, that had to be coincidence. I don't think they were... They couldn't have thinking that far. Oh, they yeah. could, they couldn't have. No, they, they well, they've known for a really long time that today was going to be the day. Yeah, um, true. But but it's a category about the moon yeah, and not Mars. Right, right. So it was kind of. So it it seems more serendipitous than actually planned. Yeah. yeah. My my current favorite podcast has a a weekly update on the news from Mars. Um, <laughs> nice. At the end, it's great. Uh, That's awesome. I did want to say something about this category, though. If that is okay. Yes, please. Please, please, please. So the $400 clue brought by the last three manned missions vehicle called these are still there and ready to go. The NASA style has been style guide has been pretty clear on this for a while that they're no longer manned missions. They're crewed missions. Mm. And I was pretty disappointed that they went with manned missions. Mm-hmm. Strong agree. So, that makes sense. Yeah. That's not a, that's not like manned versus crewed is not something that I have to use in my daily life, and so it didn't really register as a, an unnecessarily gendered term. But yeah, now that you say it, like, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, man is fine, blah, blah, mm. you know, whatever. Why do you care? But we're, you know, we're trying to be inclusive here. Right. And there are female astronauts now. Yeah. Um, and NASA... NASA has been I don't I don't know remember when they've when they made the change, but they're pretty clear about it in their style guide mm-hmm. um, that that they're crewed missions. So I wonder if yeah, I, I wonder if in their research they were looking at old writings, you know, yeah. from before that time. Or if it just <laughs> yeah. was the way that they like they just worded it that way without realizing that like without recognizing that that, that had been changed. Yeah. And I'm not like saying, yeah. oh, it's okay. I'm, I agree. It should, no, it should be know. crude. It should have I been mean, changed. I'm sure they, I'm sure that it's not like purposefully trying to be exclusive, but it's something that, you mm-hmm. know, if you are in, you know, following that segment of the population, which I am by virtue of my 
job that you know it it stood out to me a lot it yeah. was very jarring sure mm-hmm. yeah and that really flies in the fa- face of emily's uh jeopardy so woke theory mm-hmm. you know? you're you're so right um yeah Your whole whole argument just tumbling down mm-hmm. house of cards yeah. you've built jeopardy not so woke on this one jeopardy um, asleep <laughs> oh yeah yeah Daily Double number two comes up super duper late as the 25th pick at the $2,000 level of that Left Behind on the Moon category. Phil finds this one. He has 5,800. He wagers 5,000 of that. Andy's up at 13,800. Natalie has 9,600. So this is his chance to get back in the thick of things. And he gets the clue. A feather and a hammer dropped by an astronaut in 1971, confirming a theory of this man four centuries before. There was video with that. It was a cool video. Mm-hmm. Um, I show that clip to my students uh, when I was teaching all, like every every time I discuss this, I show them that clip because it is so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'd seen it before, but it, like it, it blew my mind again Yeah, to watch the feather and the hammer falling at the same rate. Phil gets this one correct. Uh, he knows that that is Galileo. Uh, and then Daily Double number three is only a few picks later. It's at number 28. Uh, Natalie finds it. It's in the run it up the flagpole category at the $1,200 level. She's at 11200 Phil's at 10800 and Andy's at 13800 And she wagers 4000 And gets the clue in a nod to its Irish settlers. Montserrat's flag shows a woman in green holding one of these musical instruments. And she takes a while and guesses what is a shillelagh, but they were looking for a harp, Celtic mm-hmm. harp. Yeah. We, we talked about Guinness last week, didn't we? Yeah, I think, I think we, we did. We did. Um, mm-hmm. A shillelagh is a weapon. But yeah, it's, it's like a club stick thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's um, a beaten stick. I think it's possible to come across the word shillelagh without enough context to know more than, like, it is an Irish object. Yeah, it's a thing that they hold. So she drops down. Mm -hmm. So heading into Final Jeopardy, Andy is in the lead with 13,800. Phil has 12,800. Natalie has 8,800. And we have the category Winter Sports and the clue. The specific skill that gave this sport its name was eliminated from international competition after the 1990 World Championships. This was a triple stumper. And I will will tell you, I really struggled with this at, at home. And I don't know what I would have written down if I'd had to write something down with the with the stupid pen um (laughs) (laughs) so natalie has wagered everything but seven dollars which turns out to make a difference in this game and writes what is target and didn't get that finished um so she drops down she was not heading for a correct response in any case um phil has wagered everything but five dollars and he guesses what is curling. So he, he drops down to five, um, which means he's finishing below Natalie. Yeah. Um, and Andy has wagered 11,801. That's a cover bet. Uh, and guesses what is skeleton, um, which I think is a winter olympic sport it is a winter olympic sport i'm trying to think about what skill you're eliminating there like you have to take out your skeleton to 
participate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the response they were looking here for here was figure skating, which I considered and rejected because somehow I thought that figure in figure skating related to like poses, like you know particular mm-hmm. positions. You know, figure skaters I think still do, um, but it turns out that they fig- I I didn't realize that figure skaters had to make figure eights and other patterns. As they as they were doing their routines, um, and that is no longer part of the sport since 1990. Yeah, so I used to be obsessed with finger skating, and so I knew this one just like right off the bat. Nice, nice. And and like if you watch the Olympics or if you watch figure skating, when Dick Button would do the announcing, he would talk about all the figures they had to do because I was like he used to have to do that, mm-hmm. and I was surprised that it was relatively recently. Uh, that they got rid of. Yeah. Although, yes, now it's 30 years mm-hmm. ago. Right? That's, so. what, that's just what we're saying. I know. 30 years ago. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, when I was, for a short period of time, when I was like seven or eight years old, I really wanted to be a figure skater. And I learned a lot about it and everything. So this came to mind. Also, I feel like we're we we're really hitting the point where we're getting a lot of repeats from season 35 because figure skating was also a final jeopardy response for one of my games yeah i with uh with andrew right yep with andrew yeah yeah i uh i knew that one from the audience and it and it felt good um (laughs) it always feels good yeah (laughs) all right so on thursday we get the contestants leah friedman a content marketer originally from philadelphia pennsylvania Alan Johnson, a software engineering manager from Metuchen, New Jersey, and Andy West, a medical information officer from Fishersville, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total $1,999. And the Jeopardy round categories are All Fairs, Glove, War, Words Borrowed from Japanese, Sitcoms by Characters, and Types of Narrative Literature. And uh, this is another category on a topic of your deep dive. Indeed, yes. The The All Fairs category was about World's Fairs, um, which we talked about a while back. And I think I covered a lot of this. I think you covered pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty comprehensive deep dive. It it had a lot, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We had, um, at the $200 level, the first modern World's Fair... Uh, This city's 1851 Great Exhibition. Uh, Listeners of the podcast will know that was London. At the $400 level, this was the main attraction of the 1889 Paris Exposition. It also served as the entrance. Uh, Alan got that one. That's the Eiffel Tower. This is where we found Daily Double number one at the $600 level. It's the 14th pick. Alan finds this one, and he makes it a true Daily Double with 2400 Andy's at 1400 at this point, and Leah's at 200 He gets the clue. The 1893 Chicago World's Fair introduced this word for a central avenue of exhibits and amusements. He struggles with this one. He guesses, what is the main galley? The correct response here is the midway. Uh-huh. And then we had a couple of clues at the higher levels about like specific attractions at World's Fairs. 
1939 New York World's Fair diorama predicting the look of the city in 1960 was called this, later a long-running animated TV series, that's Futurama. Leah guessed the Jetsons, which is indeed a futuristic, long-running animated TV series, but doesn't fit with the, uh, the other part of the clue. But Andy got that one correct. And then uh, a question about the electron microscope of the um, at the Osaka 1970 World Expo at the $1,000 level. Mm-hmm. We had a coin flip in the war category at the $600 level. In the 1860s War of the Triple Alliance, Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay left this landlocked foe in ruins. Andy rang in and guessed what is Bolivia. Uh, Alan picked it up with what is Paraguay, which are the only two landlocked countries in South America. That is something you should memorize if you haven't, basically, if you haven't memorized the map of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yet. Uh, you should try to before you go on Jeopardy if you find yourself going on. But at least remember the fact that Bolivia and Paraguay are the only two uh, landlocked countries in South America. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Andy's in the lead with 5,200. Alan's at 2,400. Leah's at 2,600. And we have the double Jeopardy round categories, I Hear Voices, Facts About Countries, a graphy description, graphy is in quotation marks, Pulitzer Prize winners, potpourri, and a defining moment. They'll give you the dictionary definition and you provide the word. And that's uh, the definition as per Merriam-Webster. Mm-hmm. One of the better Twitter accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Usually not too, not too offensive. <laughs> okay. You guys know Mr. Peanut died, right? There was that Super Bowl commercial, but then I think it, I thought it went over so poorly that they were like, just kidding, we're bringing him back. But it, it was very confusing, so I don't know. Oh, it was all planned out. They had the whole thing. So he died, and then there was a baby Peanut who has now, at this point in time, like as of February 2021, grown into an adult who is now the new Mr. Peanut. I just want to throw that out there because it sounds absurd. And it is absurd, but I remember that happening. I remember being like, yeah, Mr. Peanut died. And it for a while, it seemed like a, a almost like a Mandela effect kind of thing. Like I remembered this thing and no one else remembered it around me. And I was like, I'm sure this happened. Huh. I definitely remember the commercial where they killed off Mr. Peanut. Yeah. It was a Super Bowl commercial. It was, yeah. I remember and that it, was it very happened. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I remember the commercial happening and then I kind of stopped paying attention. <laughs> oh, but you should look up baby baby peanut or okay. baby baby nut or whatever. You'll think it's really cute. Yep. Right. Just Google baby nut. And there you go. I Oh, it's really cute. <laughs> I don't have to Google this. <laughs> That is pretty cute. (laughs) It's got a little top hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so since since that Super Bowl commercial, like over the last year or so, he has been growing up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for listeners, this is from the $400 clue, and I hear voices. Uh, Bill Hader was the voice of Mr. Peanut for this food brand that's Planters. Anyway. They, they had another potpourri category just to, just to taunt you, Kyle. They had one last week. It's like they're like, you know what? We're just tired. 
We're just going to have potpourri <laughs> all the time. Everything's yeah. potpourri. You know why? Because this is trivia. Literally every category is trivia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the facts about countries category. It's pick number four at the $1,200 level. Alan finds it. He's at 3200 and he's at 6000 Lee is at 1400 And he wagers 3000 And the clue is, this country is divided into more than 20 provinces, including Guayas and Galapagos. And he gets that right with, what is Ecuador? Mm-hmm. So, another South America question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just study your South American geography. Really, really all said of the geography. person who should study South American geography. South America is so easy. There's so it's, few countries. I know. It is it's an just easy not that continent. many. Daily Double number three is in the Pulitzer Prize winners category at the $1,600 level. And Leah finds it as the 16th pick. And she wagers 3000 of her 6600 uh, she's in third place at this point. Uh, Alan has 10,200. Andy has 9,200. And she gets the clue. The 2015 Biography Prize went to a study of Pope Pius XI's relations with this dictator down the street. And she correctly responds, who is Mussolini? Mm-hmm. And uh, that brings her up right into the middle of things. Yeah. She especially has a rough go of it at the end of the round. Uh, Alan really takes off and Andy kind of plateaus. Uh, So Mm -hmm. going into Final Jeopardy, Alan is at 17,800. It's not a runaway. Andy's at 9,200 and Lee is at (laughs) 6,000. And we get the category 19th century presidential campaigns. And the clue is the first campaign of this man who at 36 was the youngest major party nominee ever, was supported by the silver mining industry. Uh, this... I don't want to call it a triple stumper. Uh, yeah. But it was... There was not a correct response given. Leah wrote, who is Johnson? Lucky Johnson. Good guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, wa- and she wagered 5,000, so she drops down to 1,000. Andy wagered 8,601 to get a dollar above Alan's score. And wrote, who is William Jennings Bryant? Which is incorrect because the inclusion of the T changes the pronunciation of the name. I mean, it's it's incorrectly spelled, but also mm-hmm. changes the pronunciation. Yeah. If he'd put an extra N, that wouldn't have changed the pronunciation and that would have been acceptable. If he had probably spelled it B-R-I-A-N, that would have been acceptable probably he could have just combined the william and the jennings into a single word (laughs) william jennings yes (laughs) like wiley coyote he probably could have (laughs) um all right i'm i have to i have to stop whining about uh, okay you know what i'm gonna do this okay because i'm tired of this i'm going to find space jam turn on the closed captions and find a place where they call him Wiley. Oh, Just Wiley. I'm sure that exists. So therefore it is yeah. canon that he has been referred to that way. Anyway. All right. uh, anyway. 
Uh, it was not accepted. You should put that on the Patreon. But I feel like his handwriting was poor enough that, because I think Ken asked him to say it out loud, and he pronounced the T, but I think his handwriting was squiggly enough that if he had said it properly and just passed that off as an extra question mark, it might have been okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Because, yeah. like, I didn't, he didn't have a separate question mark. Yeah. And I do remember Ken saying, like, asking he him to say it out him. loud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he, he put the T at the end when he said it out loud. Yeah. Um, yep. Sometimes poor handwriting can work in your favor. Right. Yes. Especially with those pens. Just be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to write. Yeah, that means that he was ruled incorrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Alan wagered 3,000, uh, which was a little more than a cover bet, but fine. And... Tried to write who is Garfield, but only got who is Garfy out. And I don't think Garfy is correct. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, they were looking for William Jennings Bryan. And man, I had that same moment of like, I had a moment of panic and I was just like sitting at home. I was like, oh, is it? I can never remember if it's Bryant or Brian. I think it's Brian, mm-hmm. but then maybe that's what I like have convinced myself is the right one, even though it's the wrong. Like I keep going back and forth. So I don't know what I would have put. He comes up a lot in my household really? for I don't even know why. <laughs> you guys are big uh, you guys are big opponents of the gold standard. Uh yeah. I've had surprisingly a lot of Facebook arguments about the gold standard. Um, <laughs> because, because it's 1875. Like what? <laughs> Uh, and and one of those times, this involved a conversation with my dad where we we looked this up and he read me the like I like I learned it in APUS, but he he's always like, do not hang me upon a cross of yeah, gold, and yeah, so the- this comes comes up surprisingly <laughs> more often than you might imagine in my life. That's really funny. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> uh, oh, so anyway, goodness. yeah. So Alan is our winner uh, going into Friday. <laughs> So on Friday, we have the contestants Lauren Menke, a math teacher from Columbus, Ohio, Sam Stapleton, a college consultant from Los Gatos, California, and Alan Johnson, a software engineering manager from Metuchen, New Jersey, whose one-day cash winnings total $14,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Dead Precedents, Pop Culture, Loads of Roads, Hairs to You, Rhyme Time, and Baltimore News Clues, presented by the news team at Baltimore's Fox 45. And despite having a video category, we did get through all of the Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy clues in this game. Well, you know, news crews, they know how to talk quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. We didn't have a Stranger Things fan on the stage, I guess. Yeah. Anarchy would have gotten this one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she would have. At the $1,000 level of pop culture, it was Jane is this character's real first name on Stranger Things. And that's 11. It's a good show. I've only gotten through season one because I'm a big scaredy cat. Oh, <laughs> nice. Like, it's too much for me. We Yeah, we've seen, we watched the first two seasons and... We got to a point, at, at this point, it's almost two years ago now, it seems like, that we were just like, we can't watch anything heavy anymore. What little yeah. time we have to watch our own TV, we're going to watch baking shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, we'll get back to it. We'll get to season three. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the hairs to you category at the $1,000 level. Sam finds it, 
He is at 3,600, a slight lead over Alan's 3,200 and Lauren's 2,000, and he wagers 2,000. He gets the clue, it doesn't get much higher than this hairstyle, and they showed a picture, named for a mistress of Louis XV. And he gets that correct with what is a pompadour, or pompadour. Mm. <laughs> I think I would have guessed bouffant. Mm. We had a brief Edgar Allan Poe moment, which always makes me think of that deep dive you did um, over at the Baltimore News Clues category at the $400 level. Halloween is special here in Baltimore when brave spirits come to Westminster Hall to see the grave of this telltale heart author and local resident and descend into nearby catacombs. That one's, that's, that's a pretty straightforward yeah. clue, and uh, and Sam got it. I have a grudge against Edgar Allan Poe. Why? Oh, yeah? Because uh, on, on my second episode, it was a, I hit the Daily Double in a category about Poe, and I was towards the end, and I was trying to catch up, and so I was like, I know a fair bit about Poe, so I made it a true Daily Double, uh, and I did not apparently know as much about Poe as I thought that I did, uh. and so I lost everything, and then it was, there was, like, I think it was a before and after category, which was the only one left on the board, and I just kept going deeper and deeper into the hole and finished in the red and didn't even make it to final jeopardy which was like oh. the one thing and i was like oh I if i get on jeopardy it's the one thing that will just be awful like and i will never never live it down and you know luckily i had already won an episode and it was fine and like you know, my parents still love me. My husband still loves me. My friends still think I'm a good person. But it was just like a really, that was like the one thing I said to myself would never happen if I got on Jeopardy. Right. And then it did. It's so hard. I mean, obviously, not the end of yeah. the world. It was fine. You know, I had a wonderful time and I would do it again in a heartbeat. But like, oh, my God. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can so imagine. I hate, Al- I hate, I hate Poe now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand that. Everyone loses eventually. That is very accurate. I remember being very afraid of finishing in the red. Mm. And you know what? I survived. It was fine. You made it. Yeah. (laughs) The stage did not open up and swallow me whole. Mm -hmm. And you're a Jeopardy champion. Exactly. Nobody can ever take that from you. It's true. All right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Alan is at 4,600. Sam is at 8,000. He continued on after that daily double and, and... took a good lead lauren is still at 2000 and the double jeopardy categories are mad about madrigals movie title pairs historic geography dr yes md no uh, confusion with k-o-n in quotation marks and reese's pieces of literature and these are books selected by reese witherspoon's hello sunshine book club which i had never heard of before this yeah. I don't think I realized she had a book club. She does. And I will say that Jasmine Guillory's books are a delight. Um, I'm actually reading one of them right now. Although I did, The Wedding Date is the first one. It's like a series of books and they kind of all have characters that overlap and intertwine. Um, and so characters from one book will show up in another book, although you don't actually have to read them in order um, to enjoy them. But I will say that the first book, The Wedding Date, is probably my favorite of the three that I've read from her. And it's an absolute delight. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I, 
was one of my favorite books of I think 2018 was when I when I read it. Um, so that's my my plug for Jasmine Guillory's books. Hmm. Nice. All right. I'm gonna make a note of that. Book recommendations by someone other than Emily. There we go. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I loved Little Fires Everywhere, which was the $1,600 clue. Yeah, very, very well worth the read. I thought. I haven't watched the Hulu ab- adaptation yet, but uh, but liked the book. She also picked Where the Crawdads Sing for one of her books. It didn't make it into this category, but that is also a good book. Put that one on my list too. She does a good job of picking books by women um, authors and general. I mean, I've only read like three of them, but the ones that I've read, I've enjoyed. Nice. I'm sort of impressed with how Reese Witherspoon has taken her success in acting and then um, sort of gone in a number of kind of cool directions. And I don't know. I like her. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, I bet you have commentary about mad about madrigals oh you know i do <laughs> yeah you know i do four hundred dollar was fine it's like what period were madrigals around and that's the renaissance uh now is the month of maying is uh from the eight hundred dollar clue is one of the classic madrigals that's one we study in like music history and it's it's a fun one it's actually an, a fairly enjoyable piece even like you know 600 years later or whatever uh <laughs> The $1,200 clue was uh, talked about Petrarch as one of the sources, which is true. I don't really care to get into that because, um, I mean, it's a whatever. The text that they use is is fine. But speaking of the text and madrigals and things like that, like music from the Renaissance, the $1,600 clue I had I have a quibble with, which is uh, madrigals were this, quote, multi-harmonic style of several vocal melodies. The, the response is polyphonic. Alan got it. But the the clue itself is contradictory because it says multi-harmonic style of several vocal melodies. Polyphony is not multi-harmonic. That would imply multiple harmonies happening at the same time, and that's not a thing that happens. What it mm-hmm. is is multiple melodic lines happening at the same time. Usually they create harmony in so doing. However, the implication of having harmony suggests that it is a a secondary role harmony is secondary to melody in what we call homophony which is our more typical texture of music now but polyphony every melodic line is equally important so to suggest that it is like multi-harmonic is just frankly incorrect and it's weird to me that the question was worded with both multi-harmonic and several melodies like together yeah but that's that is a very unimportant quibble <laughs> when it comes down to it. Yeah, I think it, it feels to me like um, kind of imprecise use of language by a non-specialist. Yes. Right? Like, yes. I think they do that in mm-hmm. a lot of categories because there have been some astronomy ones where I've been like, oof, no. Yeah. But... Yeah, and it's, it's probably inaccurate in order to guide a non-expert to the correct answer. Yeah. But, I mean, this is also on my mind because I, like, literally just taught this to my students. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, And then at the $2,000 level, no one knew Samuel Barber was Adagio for strings. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Another another classical piece to to check out. Well, not really classical. It's a 20th century piece, but lowercase. I feel like most people maybe wouldn't 
know that the piece is called adagio for strings but like when you put it on you're like oh yeah no that sounds familiar yeah it's from platoon um, right is it, it it's used platoon. in it's used in platoon yeah i, okay. I was making a joke yeah all right Daily Double number two comes up in historic geography at the $800 level as the 10th pick. Sam finds this one and wagers 4,000 of his 10,800. He's in a huge lead with Lauren at 4,800 and Alan at 4,600. And he gets the clue. The emperors of China had seasonal homes. Peking means northern capital, and this city's name means southern capital. And he seems to be guessing, but he's correct. Uh, it is Nanking. Yeah. So really extends his lead there. Yeah. A, a good wager. Yeah, I think so. He if, if Even if he'd missed, he would have still had a bit of a lead yeah. and some time to build back up. Yeah. So smart, I thought. Yep, and daily double number three is at pick number 23. Sam finds this one as well. He found all three. Uh, it's in the Dr. Yes, MD, No category at the $2,000 level. He's up to 19200 Alan is at 10600 and Lauren's at 9200 which are both good scores. Uh, but Sam's way ahead, and he wagers another 3000 And he gets the clue. One of the first women to get a doctorate in this two-word field, Barbara Jane Liskov, won a Turing Award the field's highest honor and he gets that correct with what is computer science yeah i think they probably have like a good number of like categories kind of in the in the bank and i should maybe not try and read too much into it um but i can't help but watch as uh dr oz's guest hosting <laughs> stint comes up for the writers taking swipes um right because I, I imagine, like, there's been uh, there's been quite a bit of speculation that you know bringing Doctor Oz on was a, you know, a business decision that you know really doesn't align with what Jeopardy culture ethos, mm -hmm. um, you know. And I, I, I just have I, I just have this image of like the writers like <laughs> writing categories like snake oil salesmen, right. <laughs> hucksters, <laughs> fake medicine mm -hmm. um but, but they did have dr phil so as a as a, as a uh as response a, so yes yes indeed the the twelve hundred dollar <laughs> clue as, as you were saying rachel was about dr phil and about the fact that he um currently does not have a license to practice uh oops i, I do enjoy that you said technically doctors <laughs> i am technically a doctor yeah um yeah. you know i yes. cannot practice medicine right yep so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Sam ha still has the lead with 22,200. Alan's close with 16,600. Um, Lauren's at 9,600. Um, and we have the final Jeopardy category, World Surnames. And the clue, in 2019, for the first time, this nation allowed for non-gendered last names with the suffix burr. B-U-R. Lauren has wagered all but a dollar. I'm not sure if that's the right move in this situation. Yeah, I think a smaller wager would benefit her. But in any case, she has the correct response. What is Iceland? Uh, then we go to Alan, who has wagered 6,000, uh, just looking to get above a zero wager from Sam. And he has the correct response as well. What is Iceland? 
And Sam has it correct with a cover bet, which brings him up to 33,201 and makes him the winner. So we'll see him again on Monday when we'll have another guest host. Mike Richards, executive producer of Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, will be at the podium for the next couple of weeks. That's right. That's right. Say goodbye to Ken Jennings. I mean, you can Mm -hmm. still watch him on The Chase and Masterminds. And yeah, he's done a he's else. done a solid job. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think he did a, a very good job, all things mm-hmm. considered. Yeah, he definitely grew on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. no matter what, it was going to be hard the first day back. Yeah, so. yeah. So this is the point in the show where we direct you fine listeners to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can check that out if you'd like to uh, support us financially and maybe check out a little bit of bonus content. And I do mean a little bit of bonus content. Uh, we'll get there, I, I, I think. Someday. Yeah, someday. Uh, and we also like to uh, point you in directions of other perhaps uh, more important things we normally point you to blacklivesmatter.com and communityjusticeexchange.org those are both good places to start if you are looking for something local or national to put your money and perhaps time behind Uh, and of course a reminder about the braden smith memorial fund as well Mm -hmm. it's time for deep dive all right. <laughs> um, are we talking about Jacques Cartier? No. Okay. Are we talking about the history of figure skating? We are not, although I realized after I had already gone through most of my deep dive that that probably would have been <sighs> better. Um, <laughs> okay. But And then I also considered, it wasn't a triple stumper, but I considered going on a rant about sweet potatoes versus yams, because that is something I feel very, very passionately about. Um, I mean, who doesn't, though, you know? (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) apparently not enough people. Anyway, so no, uh, I am doing a deep dive on the band Sublime. Awesome! (laughs) Yes. So, and I I just want to actually thank some people who helped me with this deep dive. Um, Dave Kaplan and Scott Sane, um, who both work with Sublime. Um, They both manage Sublime. So, yes. So, they I spent a little bit of time talking to them yesterday, and they helped me out with some of my facts that I have today. So we're going to talk about Sublime. So Sublime formed in 1998 in Long Beach, California, which is in LA County, although uh, I feel like it should be in Orange County. It's not. And the band consisted of Brad Noel on vocals and guitar, Eric Wilson on bass, and Bud Go on drums. They were regularly joined by Marshall Goodman, who was also known as Roz M.G., also on drums because Go left the band in 1990 and then rejoined in 1994. 
Um, and a fun fact about Marshall Goodman, he is now the mayor of Las Palmas, California. So he had quite the career change. Yeah. Um, the band dissolved in 1996 upon Noel's death from a heroin overdose. Tragically, his death came a week after his marriage and 11 months after the birth of his son, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And 2021 marks 25 years since Noel's death and the subsequent release of Sublime's most popular album. The two surviving band members brought the band back in 2009 under the name Sublime with Rome, which was a nod to their new member, Rome Ramirez, and they had to change the name because Noel's estate would not give them permission to use the name Sublime. So Sublime's music is a mashup of styles. It's got some ska, punk, hip-hop, metal, reggae, just a mishmash of all different styles. And at the time, this was a unique pioneering sound. Sublime released three albums, uh, but their heyday came after Noel's death with the release of their self-titled album, Sublime. And as I mentioned, it was released it was released two months after Noel's death. And prior to the release of the album, they were a very niche Southern California band, so mostly played in like the coastal beach cities of Southern California. Their first album was called 40 Ounces to Freedom, which was released in 1992 under their own label. They recorded the album secretly at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Noel has been quoted as saying, you you weren't supposed to be there after be in there after 9 p.m., but we'd go in at 9.30 and stay until 5 in the morning. we just hide from the security guards. They never knew we were there. We managed to get $30,000 worth of studio time for free. So they were really doing this on the cheap because they started their own record label, essentially, to put this album out. Um, the most famous songs on the album are Smoke Two Joints, which is a cover of the Toyas and Date Rape, which although it was released in 1991 as a single, did not become popular until 1995 when it gained wide airplay on K-Rock, which uh, is Los Angeles's all-rock station, K-R-O-Q. Um, the band didn't particularly like the song, uh, although it has since become one of their most requested songs. This is Now, my personal editorializing on this, I think it's super catchy, but I feel like a really awful feminist when I listen to it because (laughs) of the subject matter. Um, And I will talk about this at the end, but a lot of their material does not really hold up listening to it 25 years later through the modern eye. But anyway, it is very, very catchy. And it became one of K-Rock's most requested songs, setting the stage for their record deal with MCA. Their second album, Robin the Hood, was released in 1994, and it was written and recorded at the height of Noel's addiction, with copious references to heroin. It was not well-received and does not have any notable singles on it, although it does include a song which features Gwen Stefani um, from before, no doubt, was famous and allegedly she had a little bit of a crush on brad noel so Mm. the success of the song date rape led to invitations to tour and one memorable tour was the warped tour and it was the inaugural warped tour and noel brought his dog lou dog and it turns out that lou dog wasn't a big fan of skaters and kept biting them which was kind of a big problem because, as Kevin Lyman, the found, founder of the Warp Tour, said, we're on an effing skateboard tour. Everyone's on skateboards. If I see the 
dog again, you're off the tour. You will not be surprised to find out that he saw the dog again. Uh, Lou Dog continued to cause mischief. And Sublime was kicked off the tour, but they rejoined for the West Coast leg of the tour. So it was like a short banishment, but they did they did get banished because of the poor behavior of this animal. Wow. As mentioned, their self-titled last album was released in 1996, two months after Noel's death. And it is considered their first album with a major record label, although MCA did put out their second album. And I found a lot of conflicting information about who actually released the second album. So different, different places said different things. Their last album was through MCA, and it sold over 5 million copies and ushered in the era of third wave ska, um, and then notable bands that would fall under that categorization include No Doubt, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Real Big Fish, and Save Ferris, among others. The album was originally meant to be titled Killin' It, however, after Noel's death, the label understandably rejected the title and cover art that Noel had submitted. And instead, they went with the now iconic shot of Noel's back tattoo, and it was retitled to be a self-titled, self-titled album. And I just thought of a perfect other question for this as I was reading that. So I'm just going to tell you now. Um, this is not the first time a band has renamed an album due to unfortunate circumstances. So Jimmy World is my favorite band, one of my favorite bands. Their album Bleed American was released a few months before September 11th. And after September 11th, it was retitled to just be called Jimmy World. So Mm. that's something I just thought of. Anyway, notable songs from that album included What I Got, Wrong Way, Caress Me Down, Santeria, Doin' Time, Garden Grove, and April 29th, 1992. And all of these songs were released as singles. Uh, actually, that's not true. Not all of them were released as singles, but they all came out, you know, after the death. You know, these really catapulted Sublime um, to their status as a band that and, and their popularity, and, you know, Noel wasn't around for any of this. So it's, I guess, a little bittersweet for the band. What I Got was the first single off the album, and it's the band's biggest radio hit, um, but it's not one of my personal favorites. And their second single was Santeria, which tells the story of a man plotting to get revenge on his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend, but then decides to find a new girlfriend. Um, and Santeria and What I Got are considered to be the band's signature songs. And then the next single was Wrong Way, which is about a 12-year-old girl who's forced into prostitution and then, uh, rescued kind of by the song's protagonist, but he ends up also mistreating her. So it's kind of a a downer of a song, but in the vein of many songs coming that came before it, including Maxwell Silverhammer and the song Date Rape, uh, it's got a really peppy, catchy, upbeat tempo. Um, And then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, wow, this is a little bit disturbing. And then their final single is Doin' Time, which heavily samples Summertime by George Gershwin, which he wrote for Porgy and Bess. 
The version used on the track was performed by jazz flautist Herbie Mann, and it was originally not clear if the band was going to be able to include that song on the album since they recorded it with the lyrics due in time in place of the lyrics summertime. Um, and to use the sample, the they needed to change it back to summertime. But at that point, Noel had already died. So they ended up re-recording that portion with their producer singing the words summertime. So that's not actually Brad singing that portion of the song. Mm -hmm. Um, But they did end up changing it and it is on the album and it is an incredibly popular song. Then we've got Caress Me Down, which was never released as a single, but still got substantial airplay on K-Rock and other stations. And again, it's another catchy tune. The lyrics are fairly disturbing um and it's sung partly in in spanish spanglish um so I, I it's kind of like if you understand spanish and you understand the lyrics in spanish it feels a little transgressive and naughty that they're like not bleeping any of those words out on the radio um so as i said there are some questions as to whether sublime's lyrics still hold up uh 25 years down the line and you know looking back as i said they are pretty problematic but they are definitely very very catchy and all of these songs still get significant airplay on uh radio stations that play music from the 90s and even actually i haven't listened to k-rock in a really long time um but i think they do still play these songs by sublime so you know they they still are popular. Uh, they still get requested. And, you know, there's the question of just like, is writing a song about date rape to catchy lyrics or to catchy music really like a great thing to do these days? Probably not. Um, and then if you look at some of their other songs, there's a question about cultural appropriation, um, especially with regards to the lyrics of April 29th, 1992. So that's kind of the deep dive into Sublime. Uh, I have prepared six questions that I have tried to arrange in order from easiest to most difficult, but I I don't know if I actually succeeded on that. Okay. All right. That was great. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Thank uh, you. I have a lot of memories of like listening to Sublime in the car, but I lacked context. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I heard the album, I was like over at a friend's house. I was 11. We were, you know, I was like just painting my nails and we kind of had to hide it from her parents because it's definitely not, not, I don't think either set of our parents would have been thrilled about us listening to it. I don't know. Maybe my parents wouldn't have cared. But she definitely didn't want her parents to to hear it. But Mm -hmm. all right. So the song April 29th, 1992, parentheses, Miami, was written about what event, which despite the parenthetical in the title, did not take place in Miami. April 29th, 1992. Okay, I I have a guess. I don't know the date, but I have my guess. Um, I'm trying to come up with a guess. Um, all right. I, th- I think I have my guess. You go ahead, Kyle. Uh, 
The only thing I can really think of is uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. That was my guess as well. All right. So it's kind of got the East Coast, West Coast divide going on. Uh, those are the Rodney oh. King riots. Oh. Oh. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah, and so that's where the the questions about cultural appropriation come in, because apparently they went and participated in the riots, but didn't really, like, have a connection to mm. any of the events surrounding that, that precipitated the riots. So, Interesting. yeah. Yeah. Googling it now, the Oklahoma City bombing also didn't, doesn't quite line up with the dates. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't think it did, but, but yeah. I, I could not come up with anything for that date. So, yeah, yeah. it's very, this is like, this might be a West Coast bias quiz because I, I grew up in Los Angeles. And so mm-hmm. I, these events are like seared into my memory, mm-hmm. even um, though I did not live anywhere near them. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, East Coast folk should know the Rodney King yeah. riots. Yeah, that, right? should, like, that should not be regional knowledge. But. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Noel briefly attended UC Santa Cruz before transferring to Cal State Long Beach to study, to study finance. He did not graduate from either school. What is UC Santa Cruz's unique mascot? Hmm. Oh, no. Oh, oh, I know. I think I know. Sorry, that was a little dramatic. No, that's good. That's good audio. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I have a guess. You go ahead. All right. If this is incorrect, my Uncle Arch is going to... I'll never hear the end of it. Um, is it a banana slug? It is, mm. yes. Oh, the banana I was gonna slug. Say the, I was going to say the chupacabra. No, it is, it is, it is in fact a real animal. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I went to a college, I went, my undergrad also has a very, my undergrad and actually both my grad schools have very unique mascots. So we like to, we're in the unique mascot club. I was a sage hen. Oh, (laughs) nice. Yeah. And then uh, I did my master's degree at UC Irvine and they are the anteaters. Wow. Um, and then BU is the Boston Terriers. So you're That's very right. fearsome, very yes. fearsome set yeah. of yeah. animals here. And so I feel, you know, I feel like I have an affinity with the Santa Cruz people with their banana slugs. Nice. Yeah. We had um, a we had a UC Irvine uh, anteater stuffed animal in our house for a while. I think eventually it got purged. But. All right. Continuing with the animal theme, as we've heard brad noel had a dog named lou dog that featured prominently in all of sublime's music videos as well as some of their songs what breed of dog was lou dog as we said he he was a bit of a biter which isn't too surprising because this breed is known for being kind of ornery and i will give you a hint it's not a pit bull okay because i think the biting and the ornery kind of leads you in that direction i have my my guess i have my guess is it a Rottweiler? It is not a Rottweiler. <sighs> okay. I was going to guess a Chow. It is not a Chow. It is a Dalmatian. Um, huh. And they're, and he, he sings about that in, in what I got. He says, I got a Dalmatian and I can oh, still get it away. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Ah. I know and that song. I so, am 
kind of obsessed with Dalmatians and I didn't realize like how prominently Lou Dog featured in these songs until a few years ago. I was like, how in the world would I know a breed of dog? And then you said it and I was like, that's how. Oh yeah, Yeah. because he literally told us. Yes. Okay. Snoop Dogg, I guess this is not exactly about animals, but Snoop Dogg (laughs) is another musician proud to, but but it involves dogs, is another musician proud to call Long Beach home. Uh, He recently joined forces with What Entertaining Goddess to create Blank and Snoop's Potluck Dinner Party. I, I think I know this. I've got mine. Martha Stewart. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Martha Stewart. It is Martha Stewart. That is nice. That is just so funny. It's so good. <laughs> they are pals. Yeah, Actually, um, they were doing like uh, I, I saw them uh, during the Puppy Bowl. They were doing like uh, like uh, party snacks. <laughs> it was great. I had I knew that there was a, a Snoop Dogg Martha Stewart collaboration, like that it existed in the world, and then there they were. They're great together. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think the the joke is she's the one of the two that's been to jail. Yeah. All right. The thing about suing Sublime is it's a little bit of a downer, uh, given given Brad Knoll's demise. But um, he was not the only musician to die of a heroin overdose in 1996. The keyboardist for which other band died a few months later? Sarah McLaughlin wrote her song Angel about him. Oh, jeez. You're really hitting me in the when I was seven years old and not paying attention to anything. <laughs> like, uh, um, oh, man. I was old enough to be paying attention, but I'm, I'm not sure I know it. Overdose. I can't think of a keyboardist. I don't know if this can be super helpful, but uh, there was another musician who died of a drug overdose a few months later and both of the, or a few months earlier than Brad Noel and both of their bands um, have a food in their name that relates to a specific vegetable. Oh I'm gonna find, if I can find the <laughs> genus of the vegetable uh, here. <laughs> I, this, I feel like this would be helpful to... They're both related to the cucumber. Are, uh, we're looking for the band, is that right? Yeah. Are we, are we talking about Smashing Pumpkins? Yes. Oh, I never would have got there. Never, ever would have got there. The other band was Blind Melon. Wow. Oh. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we do a lot of... We have a lot of conversations about animals and plants in this household. Nice. Okay. So, okay. Like, yeah, like the question about Diane Fossey in, in Friday's episode is also, she's also someone that comes up a lot in our household. <laughs> <laughs> like Coco um, the Gorilla. Yeah. We had, um, we had a, like an infographic on our kitchen wall for a while of um, edible fruits and vegetables and how they were related to each other. So, I, I other without that, I don't know that yeah. I would have been able to get from cucumber to pumpkin. Yes, uh, my husband won twenty bucks betting someone that the the cauliflower, mustard, broccoli, and like all the brassicas are related, and this person did not believe that they were. Okay. All right, we're heading into the final question. Um, okay. I think if I've been keeping track correctly, I've got thirty, and Kyle is at ten. Um, Did I get one? Oh, yes, Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. Yeah. 
I'll wager everything. I'll wager zero. (laughs) Doing Time was covered to critical acclaim in 2019 by what controversial singer who originally started performing under the name Lizzie Grant? I have a guess. Um... I probably shouldn't have wagered everything, but I have a guess. Okay, my guess is Alice Cooper. I was going in a very different direction and was going to guess Sia. Uh, You are closer. Neither of those is correct. Um, It is Lana Del Rey. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so... Okay, totally off. (laughs) Yeah, her her version um, was critically acclaimed, and it's, it's a fairly faithful cover but in her sort of breathy style of music gotcha mm. so so that was a hard quiz That's uh, okay. i'm sorry that was, that was great that was good i i made the error that we are always telling people not to make um, <laughs> which is overbetting <laughs> which is overbetting uh so i dropped to zero kyle stays at 10 and kyle wins the quiz boom, yay boom, boom, boom. not by uh, my own skill okay <laughs> Uh, this has been an absolute blast. Yes. So, yes, it's been super fun. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I was a little nervous at first, but you guys are excellent hosts. And, uh, you know, if you ever need another, if you need an astronomer back, I would be happy to come back and join you again. Okay. Oh, I hope I hope we'll have you sometime. Um, and thank you, listeners, for being here with us. Such a delight to share Jeopardy with you in these turbulent times. Uh, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, leave us a review or a rating if you would be so kind. Check out our Patreon if you want a little more content or just to support us financially. That's on Patreon at Potent Potables. Um, and even if that's not of interest to you, you can tell your friends about our podcast that is right you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com and we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy recaps and a deep dive and quiz so until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker 